Have you ever been frustrated trying to buy tickets online? Most sites make it complicated and then try to sneak in huge fees at checkout. That's why you need to try SeatGeek. They've made it easier than ever to buy and sell sports and concert tickets. Now, the baseball season is, of course, finished, so I won't be on it as much looking for tickets for baseball, or at all, really. I mean, what games are there? But uh, comedy is is a big thing I like to enjoy during the winter. And so you can st- you can use SeatGeek for everything else. Concerts, that's kind of all-encompassing when it comes to comedy shows, um, you know, theater shows, actual, con- you know, music concerts, all sorts of different stuff. Uh, they got Broadway, music festivals, they got everything on there. So you can still use it to find that. In fact, I was just looking the other day uh, to find some, some Seinfeld tickets. So I'm kind of interested to see what I'm going to be able to find there. He's coming uh, in January. So Now, SeatGeek has taken all the work and hassle out of shopping for tickets. SeatGeek pulls the tickets available on other sites all into one place so you save time and you never miss a deal. You can even set alerts for upcoming games, and SeatGeek will let you know if prices fall. Even better, every ticket on SeatGeek is given a grade based on value, so you can immediately find underpriced seats. And before you buy, you can use SeatGeek's detailed maps to see the view from your seat. Best of all, SeatGeek is always honest and upfront about the price. Unlike StubHub, SeatGeek shows you the full price from start to finish and never surprises you with huge fees at checkout. In fact, I can get you 20 bucks just for listening to the show. All you have to do is uh, download the free SeatGeek app, go to the settings tab, and click add a promo. Enter the promo code SLEEPER. SeatGeek will send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase with them. So again, just download the free SeatGeek app and enter promo code SLEEPER today. Sleeper in the Bust. It is Tuesday, December 6th. I'm your host, Paul Sport, and this is a guest episode. Today, I'm going to be talking to Rob Silver. Now, that may, name may not be familiar to you, but you should know that Rob is the 2016 NFBC main event champion. So this is a fantasy baseball stud who knows what he's doing. Turns out he's been playing since its inception, uh, since the National Fantasy Baseball Championship's inception. Has a lot of experience, uh, has had a lot of success in the past, never quite getting to the very top. And this year was his year. And so uh, we've become friendly out in Arizona, and I figure I want to I talk to him. You know, it's, it's nice to kind of pick the brain of somebody who wins such an interesting contest. You know, it doesn't necessarily mean that you can take everything that he says, apply it to your league, and boom, you're going to win, right? And we, and we kind of cover some of that, that it, it's a basic fundamental preparation that you put year in, year out that sets you up for success, that, that sets you up to maybe get some good luck um, and overcome some bad things that happen because there's always, you know, there's always going to be bad things that happen to you in the midst of a six-month season. So I think we had a really interesting talk. I really hope that you all enjoy it. Uh, again, you know, kind of uncovering some of the stuff that he's done to find regular success. He had five lessons that he learned from the title. Actually, he expanded it to six. I think he wrote an article about five, but maybe he gave us a sixth. Um, and I even I even pressed him for some uh, potential guys that maybe he's looking at for next year that he figures that he can draft at a surplus value, right? It, it, it's not necessarily like a sleeper thing. I think we even talk about some high-end guys that, you know, you're going to hear me say, well, that's not a sleeper. We're not really... I'm not asking for sleepers. I'm asking for the type of guys that he's going to be eyeing in the NFBC draft 
that he's hoping to, to get big payout on. I mean, uh, give a little bit of a spoiler here. His first pick in this draft was Chris Bryant. He picked at the 15th slot. I mean, that's a surplus value, right? Because he, he was the MVP. And so you didn't expect that at the end of the first round, even though that was his only chance to get somebody was the last pick of the first round. And he only had, you know, the player pool minus 14 players available to him. So, you know, you, you find value in different spots and, and we don't, go in detail on every single one of his picks but we kind of go up and down the draft and show some spots where he clicked on some value and i think he does have some some key takeaways that uh, hopefully you can put into your off-season prep so i hope you enjoy this episode without further ado here's rob silver i'm joined now by rob silver the 2016 nfbc main event champion rob how's it going it's going great, Paul. Uh, a little bit wintry here up in Canada. I know I've listened to uh, uh, a lot of your podcasts. I know you've never mentioned your feelings about winter no, before no, on I usually the that, podcast. Keep but that as, close as, to the chest. As, as a listener, I bet people at home are, are curious. Do you like winter weather uh, much, Paul? I utterly despise it. Uh, interesting. In, interesting. In every way possible. It's been rainy and cold here. Cold for Texas, not uh, for what you're dealing with up there in Canada. We've been in the 50s, maybe dipping into the 40s. I imagine you might have a single digit. I don't know exactly. You're in Toronto. We're, we're in, we're, 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 we use Celsius, so it's it's minus 86 here for Americans. Uh, the, ig, the, igloos, uh, the igloos have been constructed, and uh, we're, we're – uh, we're in the uh, the it's start rude. of the long winter, but luckily the winter meetings have started. There's a yes. lot of a lot of action going on, so it's actually it's actually I love this time of year from a baseball uh, perspective. There's a lot going on, and it's uh, it's a great time to get started on draft prep for for next year. I completely agree. Like this is this is the time. I do play fantasy football, and and we're transitioning into the playoffs. I have a couple teams that I'm still keeping an eye on, but it doesn't take anywhere you know near the time that it would for like a draft prep sort of situation. I don't play any other fantasy sports, basketball, or hockey. So this is transition time, and, and I really start thinking about the season. But we're actually going to look a lot uh, back. First off, I want to congratulate yeah. you on your main event championship. That's that's so awesome. I mean, how many competitors – I know they're the individual leagues, but you, and then you guys are all competing for the overall. Do you know exactly how many competitors were in the leagues uh, – in the yeah. overall this year? Uh, there are 450 uh, teams in the main event, My so thir- 30, 15 team leagues, and uh, uh, lots of great players. But no, it was winning is uh, win- if you're going to play this hobby, winning is better than losing. And winning when you happen to get a decent sized check at the end of the year is uh, is pretty awesome. I'm and not going to lie. When you're going against the cream of the crop, like we talk about it on this show. This is not to besmirch anything else or, or to say that, that your own home league isn't difficult. NFBC is where it's at, though. That is the cream of the crop. When you're talking about facing 449 other competitors, you're facing some of the very best out there. Does that mean that everybody is a shark? No, but but it's a shark-infested pool for sure. you got Dave Potts out there who's won uh, the million dollar at, on DraftKings twice and won – I think he's won an NFBC himself. He has. And Lindy Hinkleman who's – I can't – we don't have enough time to go to over all his achievements. Uh, Sean Childs is a beast. Greg Ambrosius who p- puts it together. You know, the, the folks at Rotowire that we are, are friends with are out there competing. I can't even name them all. There's folks that you aren't necessarily familiar with. Uh, because they're not necessarily in the industry writing and, and podcasting, but they're studs because this is what they do. And so you had to go up against all of them and you beat them. What? Uh, how many years have you been doing NFBC? Uh, since the start. So I think oh, it's uh, four, 14th, 15th year now. And uh, 
Uh, I've had a couple of runs at the overall, a couple of years. To, uh, three years ago, I was uh, when I when I went down to Vegas for the football draft, so Labor Day. I had just fallen out of first place overall, and then it's like it's like my twenty three players, Paul, had a team meeting and just all decided. <laughs> so we're going to take September off, right? Like so we're, we're going to do right? this. We're going to do this. To Anthony Rizzo said, "Like I've had a great first year. I think, I think I'm just going to ease into it. Cubs aren't into this. I need to save it." And anyways, I, I ended up finishing like eleventh overall, but that was good. Uh, and and I think five or six years ago, I finished. Uh, I think fourth or fifth overall. So I've, I've I've made runs before, which tells you either I've been lucky before or uh, or I've, I've got no, something I'll, I'll beyond luck. You, you can keep uh, the modesty. I'm going to uh, say that it it shows that this title is not a fluke, and uh, not a total fluke. You've been consistently uh, but, performing. Yeah, um, but but uh, it's uh, I mean any baseball league. One of the big differences between baseball and football that all of us anybody who's listening to this podcast plays baseball. Uh, it's a grind. Uh, the football season, you know, week 13 just ended. I don't know when the football season even started. It started 10 minutes ago. Yeah. The baseball season is such a marathon. And paradoxically, the better you're doing in a league like this, the more stressful it gets, the more time-consuming it becomes. Completely uh, so on the one hand, um, it's awesome. It's awesome hitting, you know, August and then September and then going down the stretch with a team that's at the top or right near the top and pressing, you know, refresh on the overall standings uh, every five minutes uh, all day, basically, to see what's changing. And on the other hand, by the last out of that last game, you feel like you've been through 12 rounds. I, I felt uh, beat up by the end, even though uh, I'd obviously uh, just won. Well, let's, let's, let's take it back then. Let's take it back to the beginning. You mentioned that this uh, the, this hot stove area is a time when you start to shift your attention to baseball. What what goes into your draft prep? Let's talk about some of your general principles. Uh, first question I want to ask is, do you do you develop certain player targets, or do you go through whether you're reading, listening to stuff, doing your own research, and say I want to get player X, player C, or do you say these are some general trends that I'm looking at? What what is the what is the basis of your draft prep when you're starting to look at things in the winter? So I, I'm a projections guy. I do my own projections. Uh, there are lots of good articles and stuff on fan graphs about uh, if you've never done your own projections before, how to start developing projections. There are obviously, again, there are free projections, steamers, zips uh, that, that uh, fan graphs host, and then there, there are lots of other good projections that uh, your friend, my friend Todd Zola puts out, that mm-hmm. Baseball HQ puts out. There's lots of good projections out there. I like actually going player by player through the league and really diving in deep on each player and coming up, uh, A, with one position, so the projection for each player. But one of the things I really do is I spend a lot of time in the winter um, looking at variability for each player. So if this player only gets 450 played appearances, what has to happen for me to break even or turn a profit on this player, if a player hits their 80th percentile percentage instead of their 50th percentile percentage, what kind of upside is in the player? And, and conversely, if they have a, an off year, can I still squeeze out a profit based on where they're going in ADP at the 20th percentile? So it's not just one number, though obviously by the time I hit the draft table, I have a position on each player and 
uh, and how they fit together on the team, which I'll get to in a second. Uh, but I, I really spend the time in the winter to, to feel the sensitivities on each of those players. Needless to say, that's a, a friggin' laborious, time-consuming process. Mm-hmm. Um, it may, it may be easier because of the long winters uh, up here uh, to do that. Uh, but, I, but I do that, um, and then I'm also listening to podcasts like your own, doing as much reading as I can to see the guys who it may not be in the numbers. There may be no reason to think that based on uh, what they've done in the past, either at the majors or the minors, that, that there's something there. But you know, if Eno comes on and says, you know, Pitcher X has just developed a new pitch or, or – I was talking to them and their grip changed in September. That's something I make note of and that's something that's interesting. So it's, it's taking all of those uh, things and then consolidating it into ultimately uh, before draft day, uh, both a set of projections and then obviously as ADP starts coming out, I'm a big believer on this is ultimately a market and you're looking for market inefficiencies. So I try to find where those at various points in the draft are market inefficiencies that I'm going to be uh, targeting by the time I sit down at the table. That makes a lot of sense. And I love that you actually go in in depth and, 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 and make your own projections. It's a situation where not everyone's going to have time for that. I get it. But but you could even go maybe a little bit, uh, not not quite as far. And you say, hey, I'll uh, I'll take steamer projections and then I'll go in and make alterations to it like you can do something like that if you're not going to go full bore the way you do it the way you do it but if you want to win the uh the the main event in the nfbc i feel like you got to kind of get deep uh we're gonna talk a little bit about your season as it went on but then we're gonna go top five lessons from from winning because i'm, I'm sure you took a lot from a winning season you already talked about how deep you get in uh, by the time you're competing in August and September, you're doing probably a lot of research, maybe too much, but I, I would be, I would err on that side as well, where I'm looking at everything and I want to make sure I'm picking the right starters it's, to put in and, and, and the fab and all that. I, I imagine it's, that it's it's pretty intense. It's it's a big danger. And at a certain point, the whole, whole too much, uh, too much thinking, overthinking it. Uh, you have to avoid that. I'll give you a real life example. I know I know lots of people at home are rolling their eyes. Nobody likes hearing other people talk about their teams, even if the team won a, you know, 125,000 bucks, humble brag. Uh, so nobody likes that. But I'll give you a real-life situation. I had the 15th pick in the league that I, uh, I, I draft. So I was at the turn. Um, in, at the 3-4 turn, so second time around, um, I was going to be targeting a starting pitcher. I was going to go Carlos Carrasso or Chris Archer. Those are the guys based on ADP that I thought were going to be there. For whatever reason, for a variety of reasons in this league, starting pitchers were sliding a little bit. And Corey Kluber was there, uh, who I had ranked quite high going into the season. But so was Matt Harvey. And it seems hard to remember now how sexy and hot Matt Harvey was last spring. Uh, He was going to be a stud. It was only a question of whether he was going to get to 300 strikeouts but NL Cy Young was uh, was within uh, reach of him. There was some and, clown who had him as his third overall pitcher. Well, nobody listens to him though, Paul. So thankfully, that wasn't thankfully, a thankfully. No, so that wasn't a big danger. <laughs> and and I already had Max Scherzer, so I, I took Scherzer at the one two uh, turn. And the concept of being able to pair Matt Harvey and Max Scherzer as I'm sitting there during my you know minute and a half of, of draft time. Uh, was wow, like this this is a winning combination. Two NL East pitchers, strikeout upside, this is fantastic. 
and and I watched spring training games and all the rest of it. But my rankings had Kluber like three or four slots ahead of Harvey, uh, and I I took Kluber over. Harvey, ultimately, because I, I, the one little voice in my head was, you don't want the ooh and ah, ooh, great pick. I can't believe you also got Harvey. You want the team you actually believe is the best team. And I either, you either trust your rankings and your projections by the time you get to the table, or you don't. I had Kluber ahead of him, and I trusted him. And that's a tricky thing, right? You don't mm-hmm. want to go into a draft and be a robot. It's not that I look at my projections and they're sacrosanct. And I could just send a computer in to go draft on my uh, behalf. I, you know, I believe in team construction. I'll talk about that uh, in my five lessons. I believe the pieces have to fit all together. But if I had Corey Kluber three or four slots ahead of Matt Harvey, the fact that you know, there's a little voice in me saying, man, this would be sexy, you got to tune out that voice because that's when you start spinning yourself and, and latching on to one spring training game or one podcast that somebody said something that caught your attention, you got to take that in. But knowing when to just put that aside uh, is really tough. And needless to say, if I take Matt Harvey instead of Corey Kluber uh, with that pick, uh, you're talking to somebody else on this podcast here today. It, it, it would have been perhaps a little bit different. I totally yeah. agree. I, uh, you know, like I said, I, I was I was very high on on Matt Harvey. And I do, I think I do sometimes fall into the trap of, of maybe getting a little bit, you know, drunk on how sexy a combo of players is going to be and say, whoa, 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 step back and, and try to assess and, and take, take the best players. Now I probably still would have taken Matt Harvey cause I thought he was the best player. You mentioned the, uh, the NL East. That was a, that was a, a place where you wanted to get pitchers from because they were going to be able to face Philly and Atlanta for sure. And then even Miami, yeah, they have some scary players, but you like going into that park, or at least you're not uh, necessarily as afraid. So I would have been all in uh, on on pairing those two together. But you know what? You went ahead and made the right decision. And again, that's why you won the (laughs) NFBC main event. So uh, focusing a little bit more in season now, well, first off, uh, you, you sent me pictures of your draft, and yeah. you, you started to talk about some of the players that you took. I think that the early rounds, yes, they matter. Obviously, that's where you're building your foundation, but I think things really start to turn in those middle rounds. I've always, oh, there's, there's no doubt. Yeah, no I, doubt. I find them to be the most important in terms of, okay, uh, who's really going to win here? you got to get those guys who play like single-digit rounders in the late rounds. Who were some of your uh, so you picked what you picked fifteenth right and you went yeah Bri- I was Bryant Scherzer so by the way first off your very first pick ends up being NL MVP that's a major net value right there <laughs> so right off the bat you yeah. are coming with net value but for those that are going to think that you know and we're not going to go through every pick but for those that think hey um, you know w- every pick that he made was excellent that's <sighs> why he won that's not true right you, you had Byungho <laughs> Park what was that in the ninth round yeah. And, uh, and he didn't exactly ninth, pan out. Ninth, tenth, eleventh. I went Byung Ho Park, Glenn Perkins. The twins Jesus. killed you. Jesus Christ! And then Byron Buxton. Needless to say, by September when Buxton was awesome, he was long off my team. Of course, uh, he was a nightmare up until that point. Uh, and I, so I was counting on, uh, I was kind of counting on uh, Park for about thirty home runs. I was counting on Perkins as my second uh, closer, and I was counting on Buxton to be my speed. Uh, in the end, home runs, I was fine, 
uh, 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 saves I was chasing all season. It ended up working very well for me in the end, but it was it was a struggle. And speed, I was uh, I did not. That was the one category I, I ended up finishing uh, middle of the pack. But yeah, Buxton, I was uh, very wrong on. That is one of my uh, big lessons. Uh, you do not need to have, you will not have a perfect draft. If you look no. back on previous winners, there is no such thing as a perfect draft. And how could you there can- be? It's six months. We, ha- we do not, we're not that smart. We do not know everything that's going to happen. It's just foolish to think that we do. And so to think you have to come out with the, the 23 perfect players is just wrong, especially when you consider, look what you did right after that. Daniel Murphy, John Lackey back to back and those two picks panned out a lot and in terms of net value they cover a lot of the the misses that those three twins delivered Daniel Murphy I mean it seems comical that he went that late at this point it's easy to look back now and say that was a miss but was that somebody that you were targeting as hey people are not giving him enough credit for the because he actually had swing changes and it wasn't just the playoffs August and September, he'd hit for power, too. I consider it a miss now that I look back. I didn't give him enough look and say, hey, Daniel Murphy really made some changes. But once you kind of look back at the numbers, even before this year, even before he got going and killed it with Washington, I think if you just look at his 2015 numbers, there, Daniel Murphy was a huge miss and, and, and really shouldn't have happened like that. It, what, what do you it, think it, about him? It, it sounds like the kind of thing you say after you uh, have won uh, and that you make up. There were three hitters, uh, kind of mid to late rounds, that I uh, – actually four hitters that if I go back to my draft prep paper, like I ultimately go in, I use my laptop, but I have an Excel spreadsheet of which guys I really want to get in certain rounds and that I'm going to jump around early in some cases to get them. And the four guys, uh, and uh, there was a reason for each of them, Daniel Murphy, uh, Justin Turner, who I got in the 16th round, Victor Martinez in the 18th round, and Melky Cabrera, poor, ugly Melky Cabrera. Nobody loves Melky uh, in the 19th round. And with Daniel Murphy, it's I'd, I'd be a liar if I said that he was. I thought he was going to turn into an NL MVP candidate and you know second or third best hitter in the National League. Because uh, if if I believed that, I wouldn't have left him to the twelfth round. I would have jumped him even further and of not course. risked uh, losing him. What I did think that was uh, absolutely legit was a three hundred to three hundred and ten batting average. So I didn't think it was going to go as high as it went, but I thought the batting average was certainly legit. There are not a lot of very solid high plate appearance batting averages that you can find that late. And I thought if he, if he maintained half the power breakout from the playoffs, meaning 18 to 20, again, assuming that we don't have the home run explosion, meaning everybody hit 18 to 20. Mm-hmm. But in my projections last year, a 305 to 310 batting average uh, 18 to 20 home runs and lots of counting stats in terms of runs RBIs just because of where he was going to hit in that lineup made him, I thought, uh, somebody uh, somebody who was going to be a nice value. And, and the batting average was what I was really going uh, after for, uh, for, for just from a, a roster construction uh, perspective. Of all the categories, um, I find other people manage their teams, uh, manage stats differently. It is. It, I can find home runs during the year. Guys come up. I can find stolen bases. Uh, you can press up and down to get those things. If you don't have a solid team batting average out of the shoot, 
it is very hard to just wake up one day and saying, geez, I need to raise my batting average, uh, so I'm just going to go and get this guy out of the free agent yep. pool to raise my batting average. I don't know who that guy is. So what you can do is, like, I had Brian McCann at catcher. You can dump Brian McCann. You lose some power. You lose some, some ribbies and runs. And ha- just having him off your roster will raise your batting average. But you've probably lost in home runs what you've just gained in batting average. But you can't just go and find a Rajai Davis equivalent in batting average. There is no Hernan Perez of batting average that just appears. And when he does appear, he either A... uh, He already did it, usually. He already did it, so he's not a free agent. He's a Trey Turner, so he's got lots of other things that everybody uh, wants him. Or it's kind of fluky. There are guys who just emerge and hit 300, but it's not – you're not looking there on a Sunday evening and saying, I need batting average. That's my guy. So I like having a bit of a batting average cushion in terms of roster construction. So then I do have flexibility to go get the the 220 power guy if I need a power boost or the the stolen base guy who may also drag me down. So that's that's – that's why lucky or, 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 or wisdom, I, I ended up with Daniel Murphy well, that, uh, in lots of places. That explains you know, a base of, of Chris Bryan, Robinson Cano, Jonathan Lucroy, Daniel Murphy, even Justin Turner, I think, uh, can be, could have been expected for uh, a plausible average. Even if it yep. wasn't going to be super plus, everyone was coming in thinking, okay, that's a guy who can hit 280 pretty easily and maybe even more. He ended up turning up the power a little bit more in lieu of some batting average Justin Turner did. Plus, he spent the first month, month and a half coming back from that microfracture, and I think that cost him a few points. But a 275 average that he ended up giving you, uh, you, you were more than willing to trade those extra batting average points for 27 and 90 with the homers and ribbies. So no that, doubt. that and, worked out. And same, same thing with Victor Martinez. I mean, again, if we think back a year ago, Health was the big question with Victor, uh, but as as you know better than I do, is, is he, the back half of his career, he's either been hurt or he's hit. Uh, Victor Martinez, in and I and I was willing to take a chance, and 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 with hitting the power, there there was a range of outcomes in terms of power, but batting average, I felt pretty comfortable that Victor was a two eighty plus hitter with with real three hundred uh, potential. And as I said, Melky Cabrera, nobody ever goes into their draft saying, man, if I can just leave <laughs> this draft with Melky Cabrera, then I've made myself. My popping off. Uh, but in a 15-team league where you're, everybody's starting five outfielders plus uh, a utility, um, Melky is a guy you may not want to use every week. You're, you may be, you may have, you hopefully have better options lots of different times. But when he's in your lineup, he's helping your batting average, and he's doing a little bit of everything, not so much the speed anymore, but a little bit of everything. I love having Melky as my sixth outfielder uh, kind of guy. It uh, really worked out, too. I mean, yeah. what a fantastic season he ended up having, hitting 296, 14 homers, 86 ribbies, 70 runs. The counting numbers aren't that different from what he did last year. That batting average got back on track in line with more of his career average. 273 the year before. That's a situation that tells you that even when a guy is consistently uh, hitting in the 280s to 270s, you've got 300 potential there if if he's shown it before. And, of course, he had the 346 a couple years back, 305 with KC. We've seen him spike high. So betting on him to jump back up as opposed to go further down after the 273 I think was a wise move with Melky. And, of course, it did pay off. That was a hell of a season from him, and I think a lot of folks – benefited when they probably took him begrudgingly. You went ahead and took him purposefully, and it really paid off. 
Yeah. Let's talk about uh, some in-season acquisitions. First off, I want to ask, how, what are your, what's your general way of handling fab? It might actually be case by case, year to year, because the, the fab pool, of course, is, is, is dynamic. But do you have a general, any general principles of, I'm going to spend early because I can get the most out of these guys. I have to save some. How do you handle a fab budget going in? Um, it, again, if things work ideally, you get a couple injuries, you're not ravaged. I know there's a ton of variables, but do you have any general principles with fab? Yeah, two two big principles. One, um, the more you know how you, that you know your team, which sounds dumb, like know your team. Well, I look at my team every day, but really know your team. Really have an understanding, not just where you are in today's standings, but but actual have ongoing projections of your team and the rest of the league. Um, know your weaknesses and then create a plan accordingly. I mentioned earlier. I knew right off the bat I was weak on saves, weak, weak on stolen bases, even though there were lots of times in April, May that I actually, it actually wasn't showing up yet in the standings just how much weakness I had there. But having that knowledge that actually I'm in a lot of trouble on speed, for example, and stolen bases, that allows you to actually have a thoughtful uh, plan as opposed to just going uh, to the computer on Sunday and throwing money and whoever happens to have had a good week or who happens you happen to have heard their name on a podcast uh, this week. So actually understanding your uh, team and where they fit into the league, whether it's your home league or, or something a little bit bigger, number one. And number two, I am a believer in um, a player you acquire in April or May is more valuable than a player you, you acquire in September. Mm -hmm. So I, my, my budget allocation, and I'm not religious about it, uh, but my budget allocation is kind of a curve. I'm happy. I'm okay. It's a thousand dollar fab in, in NFBC, but it's the same if it's if it's hundred budget. I'm okay going into September out of a thousand bucks with thirty or forty dollars uh, only left for four weeks. I'm okay going into August with only ten percent of my. Uh, budget left because it means I've actually spent it hopefully to improve my team through the years. There are other really good players who basically break the season up into 26 equal pieces and will spend, you know, 40 bucks 26 times. And that, that works for them and, and uh, I respect them and they build a strategy uh, around that. The only other thing is it is so tempting to throw big money at the sexy kid who gets called up each week. It is oh, yeah. so tempting, especially for those who go down to Arizona and you see a hot prospect in the Arizona Fall League and you're so excited in May, June, July, whenever they happen to get called up. And sometimes it pays off. Uh, we saw that you know, with a, a particular Yankees catcher last year where, oh, boy, uh, <laughs> we'll, you'll, you'll talk about them when, when you get into catcher preview, I'm sure, in a few weeks. Um, but so often you end up blowing 20, 30, 40% of your budget at, against somebody who struggles because for every kid who comes up and excels off the bat, there's another in particular pitcher. It's oh, hard yeah. to be – Especially it, pitching. It is hard to, to, to succeed at the major league level as a starting pitcher uh, right off the bat. It just is. You can have an awesome career and struggle off the bat. And we can all think of exceptions that make it, us convinced that player X – uh, is is going to you know break the rules and, and kick butt right off the bat. And maybe they will, but I'd so much rather miss that one guy than throw huge money chasing the next big thing just because it's sexy. I, I, I completely agree. And, and that's something that I've learned in, in past years. You know, there was one guy I was willing to go in on in the draft this year. I thought Lucas Giolito would be somebody yeah. – 
who was ready, uh, you know, to show himself right away. I thought there was some polish there. And even he, the top pitching prospect in all of baseball, Lucas Giolito, clearly wasn't ready this year. He's 21 years old, and it, may, and it makes sense. You know, we saw some good things out of Julio Urias, but even he wasn't necessarily ready to be a fantasy contributor. So even when that, even when it goes well, and he threw 77 innings of a 339 ERA and a, and a 146 whip, the 339 ERA is good. The uh, 84 strikeouts in 77 innings is good. A 146 whip kind of negates most of that value. And that was somebody – you actually drafted him. Yeah. I like drafting him that way. Spending a spending a late pick, I have a lot – I'm way more open to than the fab because I find the fab to be a little bit more precious. And- I'll, be, I'll, I'll be honest, Paul. Uh, I don't think I got 10 innings out of Julio Urias before I had to waive him. I, I think I waived him. Uh, before he got at the call, I thought he was going to be up earlier than uh, he was. We, we all and, did. They, they made grumblings yeah. about it, and he wasn't even up till late May. So, yeah, if you didn't hang on, it would make sense. Plus, his first two outings weren't that good. And so at that point, if you just said, listen, it's not going to click, you might have cut him. Somebody else picks him up and gets the final 69 innings. Nice. 273 RA with 77 strikeouts. You know, They might have been the beneficiary there. I like the gamble pick, though. Again, more totally. than spending 112 fab or whatever it is. Again, a $1,000 budget, so that would be like an yeah, $11 uh, sort of bid. Actually, I'm just looking back. I dropped Urias uh, in uh, in early May for a guy named John Gray. Ooh, uh, yeah, I like, I, 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 I like a lot Well, let's this talk year. key acquisitions then. Yeah. I, I think that – now, how are you able to deploy him? Is, uh, NFBC – I've never played the main event. I hope to change that this year. Uh, so, for, so the way the way main event works, I think it's the same in the draft champions. Uh, you set your lineup uh, for hitters twice a week, yes. and this is very important. So, you, before their first game of the week, so Monday, Tuesday, depending when their team's first game is. Uh, hitters By the way, that little walk- that little wrinkle is awesome. If they have yeah. Monday off. And you have a bunch of guys who had Monday off. You can still make moves. It isn't locked in by that first game Monday. It's their first game, like you said. Yep. And then Friday for hitters, you can make a line. You can change any hitter uh, again before Friday first game. Pitchers they lock for their first game. So Monday, Tuesday, you, there is no change. So you can't stream uh, pitchers midweek uh, if they've already started their first game. Uh, with John Gray. Um, I was very cautious at first. I loved him. I liked him for a long time. Uh, like almost everybody, I have avoided Colorado pitchers for as long as I could remember. Uh, he was showing signs by then of maybe being someone you could trust, but I was avoiding home starts. I was missing good starts. I was playing it super cautious for the first six, eight weeks that I had him, not mm-hmm. using him very often. Until it was at the point where I could trust him at home, and uh, I ended up getting good stats out of John Gray. He was not an every uh, week starter, but he was certainly in the uh, in the rotation uh, in terms of guys I was uh, using. And for this year, John Gray is. Uh, we'll see where his price ultimately lands, but he is a guy that I think you can trust. Other than really tough home starts, but I'd say that about almost every pitcher, other than you know top fifteen twenty pitchers, I avoid really tough starts. But uh, until until he gives me a reason to worry about Colorado for him, I don't worry about him at home in Colorado. 
I agree. And I, I think it is a situation where John Gray is uh, showing a diversity of, of pitch mix and skill set that he has a different approach for home that I think he's going to be somebody who can actually kind of tame Coors a little bit. Not necessarily put up, you know, your sub three ERAs that you can see from some guys when they're when they're in a very favorable home park. But I think all we really need him to do is, is if he can linger around four. I think even like a 410 ERA at home with a boatload of Ks would be enough because I do expect him to have kind of a low threes maybe even a sub three on the road and you add that up that's definitely going to keep keep him uh you know as one of the better pitchers out there as a low to mid threes era guy tons of k's and we'll kind of see how the winds shake out being on colorado so Uh, i love john gray this year um he's a guy where roster construction i think especially in 12 or 15 uh team mixed leagues matters nl only leagues are a little bit different if i have two studs you won't get Scherzer and Kluber this year, but if you have this year's equivalent of Scherzer and Kluber, mm-hmm. then I'm very happy to have a Gray as my fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh starter, wherever he happens to, to slot in. If I go a different way, and you can certainly win uh, going with a bunch of you know fifth, sixth, seventh round starters, but you're taking two or three or four pretty good, but not you know top ten, top fifteen starters. I'm not sure I want Gray as one of those four guys in the same way. Okay. So to me, to me, it depends on also a little bit roster construction. I think that's completely fair, and, and roster construction is a very important factor to a lot of players, and I think it's something that does get overlooked a little bit, and, and we focus a little bit much on, um, I'll just get the best talent and kind of figure it out. I do think there are some players and some aspects, uh, you know, some of the speed only guys um, and also some of the power only guys like a Chris Carter and D Gordon are the two that kind of jump out in my mind right now. Those two, when you get them, you have to construct your team differently. And that's why if you're not willing to do that, uh, I, I would recommend not drafting them. I think the same is the key for a lot of uh, a lot of different pitchers. So I think that's a good point that you bring up there. Who are some of your other in-season acquisitions that you got that really kind of moved the needle for you? Uh, Hernan Perez. Uh, oh, you ended week. up with him. That yeah. guy. Was there something? Now, I know you can uh, be honest. Was there something you saw or you just saw the playing time? Because so, so it could be that I, uh, easy. Uh, I, I was talking to um, to Ray Murphy, who uh, is the editor of Baseball, Baseball HQ uh, at the Arizona Fall League. And uh, he was right in it. Uh, he finished, I think, fourth overall. And we were talking about Hernan Perez. And we had messaged during the season. I barely knew who Hernan Perez was before this year, and I'm embarrassed to admit it because I know he had lots of plate appearances with your Tigers. Uh, that's, that's the only for, way for, I knew him, though. And uh, I, I, he looked previously. like a, a, um, an out, or excuse me, a utility fielder only, though. That's all. Yeah. He, that's all I thought he was going to be. I could not. The season that he had, first, I'm just going to go over the numbers again for folks that might not be aware. If you didn't play an L only, uh, or if you didn't see him in your mixed league team. 13 homers, 56 ribbies, 34 stolen bases, 50 runs, and a, and a passable 272 average in 430 plate appearances. Uh, just insanity out of nowhere from a 25-year-old Hernan Perez. So why I got him uh, – so so was it lucky that I ended up with Hernan Perez and he did what he did? Of course it was. I, 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 nobody would have expected him to explode that way. Before you go uh, further on that, take that in, folks. The winner of the NFC main event – just admitted that yes, there was, it's okay to admit that you get lucky sometimes. Not everything has to be some great stroke of genius that you made. If you're going to win leagues, whether it's the main event or your home league, you're going to need some luck. So I just want to point out that 
it's okay to admit that, and I'm glad that you were open to saying that. Uh, 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 well, I, I I picked up two players that week. I'm looking at my transaction page on a website. I haven't. I'm I'm not Rain Man. I haven't memorized the the, the entire <laughs> season or anything. I picked up Hernan Perez and Raul Mondesi the same week. Why? Because as I've mentioned a couple of times, I was desperate for speed. Mm -hmm. uh, Raul Mondesi, I thought, was going to break out. I thought he was going to get full-time playing time, which he sort of did, and run wild. Uh, Raul Mondesi did basically nothing uh, for me. Uh, so if, if Raul Mondesi goes off and Hernan Perez stinks, I drop Hernan Perez. I, I, it was a $20 bid for Hernan Perez, $27 bid for Raul Mondesi. It's not like I was betting the farm on either of them. Why I liked Hernan Perez is Milwaukee was giving the green light to everybody. Everybody at that sure. point, other than other than other than Carter, like everybody, anybody who was not a total dad runner who could barely <laughs> run from first to second was getting the green light at all times. And in the week before this, he was starting to get full time playing times. I think they had an injury at third base, Milwaukee. So he it looked like he was going to get full time playing time in the short term. So uh, my my the reason why I got him was if I could get a couple of weeks out of him. A and B, he was playing full time. Then C, if he has the green light at all times in Milwaukee, that could be some quick, cheap speed. That was the rationale. It worked out a little bit better than that, uh, but yeah, so that's that worked out uh, pretty well for me. I like it. I like it a lot. Uh, um, and like you said, so you look at those two, and I assume you were expecting more out of Mondesi, and Perez ends up being the guy. You got to take shots. It is a volume play. We are talking about six months here. Yep. There are going to be times you just need to kind of go with a bit of a, a volume play and and click on a few guys that maybe you didn't expect to click on. Were there anybody uh, the, else that stood out? Yeah, the other big guy is uh, this young young startup pitcher named uh, Edwin Diaz. Oh. Uh, so I picked up Edwin Diaz on July twenty fourth for two dollars out of a thousand dollars. And then I cut Edwin Diaz the following uh, week because I needed somebody. I don't even remember who I uh, I would have. Oh, I cut I, I cut him for Jake Barrett. You remember Jake Barrett? I do remember Jake Barrett. Uh, Absolutely. So I, so I cut Ed, Edwin Diaz. I picked up because he was awesome. He didn't have a job, but like like you guys talk about on the podcast all the time, draft skills sometimes. And Edwin Diaz's at that point skills were off the charts. But but he did not have the job. Then Jake Barrett gets a job, so I throw a fair bit of money at Jake Barrett. I assume Jake Barrett uh, loses the job by the following week. So August seventh, I pick Edwin Diaz back up. This time for sixty five bucks, which is still not a lot for a closer who has the job. And needless to say, had had uh, Diaz the rest of the season, and he was pretty awesome for me. Very nice. Yeah, that that's that's a huge one and. I love that that story of how you picked him up, it didn't work, and then he's back. Uh, so I told you how like I had no saves on my team uh, coming out of the draft. I had, Mar I had Mark Melanson, so I had, I had 40 saves or whatever Melanson ended up with. I ended up finishing 25th out of 450 teams in saves by just piecing together some awesome pitchers like Edwin Diaz and then a lot of Jake Barrett's uh, mm -hmm. and Joe. Well, you're just getting a, 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 a save here and there. Uh, Joe Smith was on my team. Will Harris was on uh, my team. Uh, 
Uh, who else did I have uh, closing at various points? So Fernando Rodney uh, for a few weeks of ugly, ugly. It's not good for your health having Fernando. No. For, Fernando Rodney will be a closer again this year for like two weeks. And we all just want to win. And there is a point when you have to chase saves. Go see your doctor before you get Fernando <laughs> Rodney uh, on your Doc, roster. Doc, uh, I'm, I'm considering. Uh, I'm considering picking up Fernando uh, Rodney. Can you prescribe something for me? Uh, and then the other guy I got in terms of closers, um, who um, who sucks and will be pretty cheap if he goes into the season this year with the job. And there's re- who knows what they're going to do. Uh, Brandon Kinsler uh, from the Twins, oh, yeah. uh, who you'll. You do any kind of advanced uh, analytics in terms of his underlying skills, his strikeout numbers, everything about him says uh, this is not a guy who can possibly hold on to a closer's role for 2017. Having watched a lot of Minnesota Twins games where he was pitching, and there were not a lot of Minnesota Twins games when they had a lead for him to pitch, uh, he actually was really solid. Like Just as a ground ball, uh, get out kind of guy, it wouldn't shock me if 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 he goes into the year with the closer job if he can actually hold on to it in 2017. That's so an you're interesting gonna, name for sure, Brandon Kinsler. Yeah, and, and there'll be lots of sexier names. Like it's almost impossible for them not to have guys that went that when you and Jason you you know are doing reliever previews in the spring that you won't be like I like this guy better, this guy better, this guy better, this guy better than Kinsler in terms of Minnesota's bullpen. Um, but he's one of those guys that, depending on what Molitor decides to do with his bullpen, it would not shock me at all if he holds that job all season, even though he kind of sucks. Doesn't walk guys, has a killer uh, ground ball rate. Not a huge yeah. strikeout guy. So, th- again, there will be sexier names. You're right. But, you know, having the job is actually the most important aspect of it. And so we could see somebody like Brandon Kinsler get some run there in Minnesota. Keep an eye out for that for sure. All right, Rob, let's shift over. You had a great season. It worked. You're you're now breathing a little bit in October. Now it's November, December, and you, and you, you cultivated your top five lessons from winning. So let's go over these top five lessons. Let's start with number one. We've, we've already mentioned a few of them, so I'll, okay. go, I'll go relatively quickly through some of them. Uh, number one, there's no one way to win. It would be a hotter podcast take if I came out <laughs> here and said I've got the secret. On Here's how the you way. Win, uh, the way. Uh, there, there, there is no one way. Anybody who tells you this is the way you win the NFBC or you win any big stakes uh, season long league is full of it. You can win lots of ways. Uh, Lindy has his seventy five, seventy five. You know, first three hitters try to get seventy five home runs, seventy five stolen bases. If you nail that, that can work really well. Do you think I, he's altered that at all with the uh, with the changes of the landscape between uh, both? It, well, it's it's interesting because he was he was drafting 14th uh, in in this draft, so he had the pick ahead of me. Uh, I was going into the draft at the 15th. You said I was lucky to get Chris Bryant at 15th, and there's no doubt that getting Chris Bryant, who was he was so handsome, he's oh, so dreamy, God, uh, his eyes, yeah, uh, he was brilliant. Uh, the guy I wanted at uh, 15, who based on ADP I should have expected to get, was Mookie Betts. Betts, yeah, who went right Mookie Betts, you. not shockingly, went 14 to Lindy. So he got, he went Mookie Betts, George Springer uh, at the 1-2, and then uh, went three pitchers, and then he went Odor in the sixth round. So arguably, like I, I, I haven't done the math in terms of what Betts, Springer, and Odor added up to. Certainly got his homers. 
Yeah, and, and, and it's certainly based on his projections going into the draft. That is a 75-75 ish kind of approach. So Absolutely. I'm not sure if he's changed it. But there are people who will say, I need to stud starting pitchers in my first five rounds. And there's no doubt having Scherzer and Kluber, you know, rolling out there is awesome. This year, when I look at the starting pitcher list, it's going to be hard in lots of draft positions to get two stud close, uh, starting pitchers. Uh, it just is. There aren't that many of them. There's health issues with a lot of starting pitchers. Reliability so, has gone down substantially on starters. Yeah. Uh, so, so, so there is no one way. It really also depends on, on, you know, you, Paul, you know, pitching. So maybe you can cheat a little bit in terms of starting pitching in a way that some other players may not be able to. So you also need to fit with your draft approach, uh, and, and your, your knowledge, uh, of the player pool. So that's By the way, one. Speaking of yeah. stealing some pitching, and we didn't get to this in the, in your draft cause we didn't cover everything, but you got Gaussman. Marco Estrada and Rick Porcello um, in what? what is that? Like- 20, 22, and 23. Filthy. Yeah, that worked out all right. And again, did I think that that, uh, that, that it was going to work out exactly the way it worked out? No, or I would have picked Porcello earlier than the 23rd round if I was, sure, thought he was going to. But there was a reason why I took all of them. So it's not like I was just throwing random names against exactly. the wall. Uh but the one, you know, Gaussman's young. He was, he's up and coming. With Estrada and Priscilla, one of the things uh, – I'll, I'll, actually, let me go through my list and, okay, and yeah, I'll yeah. come no, Let's I'll go to number to two. It. Let's go to number, number two. Number two, uh, you've mentioned this. You don't need to have the perfect draft and you won't have the perfect draft. It's just not how this works. Don't think you do and don't uh, let anybody tell you you do. Number three, and this I think is a key, key, key one. Winning the NFBC is not a GPP. This is not winning a big daily tournament where if you, if you, if anybody, if you play anything in, in daily fantasy, they'll tell you to win a big tournament. You need big variability and take big risks in your lineup. But variability, you need guys with huge upside uh, that you take. And the example last year was Carlos Correa. Who yep. went seventh in this draft? You know, is is uh, ADP was all over this uh, the place. But there are lots of guys like that that you hear people talking about when they talk about the NFBC. That while well, I want to win the the overall, so I need to really reach for that guy because if he breaks and he goes, you know, thirty thirty, or if he has, you know, he could win a Cy Young. Uh, this year, even though he's twenty two and he's only pitched fifty innings uh, in the majors, that's how I win. And I don't think that's right at all. If you look at my team, the guys who busted, Byron Buxton, uh, Young Ho Park, uh, were the guys with low track records. Uh, the, 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 the guys who, who were huge in terms of uh, upside were the boring Daniel Murphys, old man. Hell, like even Cano in the fourth yeah. round, getting back to you know super Canoean levels. Like you, you had an expectation, I'm sure, of like 280 and 20. With uh, with good counting categories, but he went out and and absolutely beasted. Took took advantage of the uh, the power surge across the league. Pops thirty nine homers with one hundred and three ribbies and a two ninety eight average, one hundred and seven runs. Massive season. Your crusty guys really came through. I mentioned Lackey. Uh, we were just getting in on some of those other pitchers: Daniel Murphy, Justin Turner. These are uh, veterans. Uh, Victor Martinez. Yep. Melky. So yeah, I mean that that's a great point there. Hitting solid doubles with your picks. Think about it in an auction. You know, if you you have a two hundred and sixty dollar auction, to win you need kind of three hundred and twenty dollars of value. 
And if you can get a $1 player who gets you $40 of value, that's awesome. And you're in a great position to win. But the flip side is if you have 23 players and you kind of average 25 with, you know, you you average a dollar more with each player, $2 more. Over 23 players, you're going to get the profit that you need. And I see a lot of people just swinging wildly with, uh, with picks. And you're going to hit on some of those. You're going to miss on some of those. I'm not sure that's the best way. But again, there's no one way. If, this is, if, you, if you have a crystal ball and you can pick out those guys, um, then, then, then good for you. You should, you should be picking stocks probably because right. uh, be- there are easier ways to make uh, money. Uh, number four, uh, mention this, but I'll uh, emphasize it again. Roster construction is so important in terms of how it fits together, in terms of managing uh, categories, and also in terms of positional flexibility. Um, I don't, uh, I, I'm not going into a draft saying I'm going to take Ben Zobrist at all costs because I like the flexibility, um, but it is so nice having flexible rosters. Uh, Chris Bryant qualifying in the outfield, he probably played a third of the time for me in the outfield instead of third base, just because I was flipping guys uh, back and forth. Almost every position, I had somebody else who I could move into that position at any time. And the big uh, which... aspect there is then you can control your fate on the fab market, right? Totally. If somebody comes up um, and it's some some great you know third baseman, you're not saying, well, I don't have anywhere for him because my third corner and, and utility are locked. You start maneuvering guys around. All of a sudden, you have an open spot. That's where that flexibility comes in. I still think it's an underrated aspect because we don't know how to put an exact dollar value on it. And like you said, you don't want to go crazy on it and just say, well, I'm going to take Ben Zobris in the fourth round just to have him. But I do think that that, that flexibility is highly underrated and still something that, uh, that people should seek out a little bit more and factor into their uh, values. At the very least, what people need to do, I think – is if your middle infielder, let's say, is a second baseman, so you come out of the draft with two second basemen, one shortstop, don't take a third second baseman on your bench as your backup middle infielder. Mm-hmm. Take a shortstop. If it's the same thing with first base and third base, you know, if, if you have your corner guy be a first baseman, try to get somebody with third base eligibility because then you have four guys you can rotate through those three positions. So even that is from a roster construction perspective, a tiny little thing that gives you a little bit more flexibility. Do you also construct your roster skills-based too? Like this guy's going to get me strikeouts. This pitcher's more of a, uh, a whip guy and he's on a good uh, team and he's so he can get some wins. A hundred percent. Wins, I mean, wins as are everybody tough. Knows, wins very, very wins tough. are tough. Uh, but on the pitching side, category-wise, absolutely. The most underrated category in fantasy is whip. R- uh, okay. N- nobody likes whip. Nope. Nobody, but nobody, nobody thinks about whip. They they assume, and there's no doubt that that smarter people than I would say there's a strong correlation between whip and ERA. And of sure. course, there's a strong uh, correlation between uh, whip and ERA. Uh, but uh, I can tell you the top ten guys in strikeouts this year. I can tell you the top ten guys in ERA from last year. Who can tell me? Who the top ten guys in WHIP are? Nobody knows Nobody. that. You never talk about. You never have a show talking about. Man, this guy is killing it on WHIP. <laughs> you have shows on this guy's. Look at this guy's strikeout numbers. Look at this guy's ERA, and then you'll break the ERA down. And you know, this is what his xFIP is. This is what his Sierra number is. We have all these fancy uh, metrics that say whether an ERA is real or not. Other than BABIP. Uh, we don't talk about how real people's whips are. We don't talk about uh, Marco Estrada, for example. Marco Estrada is, I think, uh, 
10th overall, 10th or 11th, don't, don't quote me on the exact position, but he's top 15 overall over the last two years in whip. And if you look at all the guys above him, it's the studs of studs. Really and then is. Marco Estrada. And I guarantee you, Marco Estrada is not, he may not go in the 23rd round uh, or 22nd round uh, this year. So maybe he'll go in the 18th, 19th round. I got, I got round. him in the 20th when we were out in Arizona, Rob. People yeah. still didn't want him in that draft just last month, about a month ago today. Uh, folks were just they, – they just weren't taking him. And it was to the point where I asked uh, my the guy next to me, I said, is he still – I don't want to make an errant pick. Yes. And it strikes me that he's he's still out there. And I don't even love him. But in the 20th round, like, at, what does he have to do? What does Marco Estrada have to do to get some love here? I mean, he continues to put up solid whips. Uh, you know, yeah, he gives up homers. I get it, but he got his strikeouts back this year too. He's kind of an interesting pitcher yet again this year. One uh, one thing he truly is elite in, and I know Eno has done this uh, on the on the website before, is infield pop ups. Yep. And I'm a big believer. Look, strikeouts are both a category in our game as well as they say something about a skill set for uh, for a pitcher, but. From a from a from an outcome perspective, the reason why we like strikeouts, walks, and home runs is they're the three true out, outcomes that the pitchers control themselves that are not defensive uh, dependent. To me, an infield pop up is exactly the same. Nothing can go bad once you have an infield uh, pop up. It's an out. It's uh, an auto out. Yep, absolutely. Uh, and I love running the leaderboard on uh, strikeout percentage plus infield pop-up uh, percentage minus walk percentage. It's so uh, funny get- that you say that. I have one of my filters on fan graphs is called auto outs, and it's infield infield percentage and K percentage uh, with total batter's face, and I just copy-paste it, and I can get a percentage of of automatic outs that guys are getting. I essentially am adding those pop-ups to their strikeout rate because those are guaranteed outs. Uh, and when you run that, Estrada becomes a uh, borderline elite pitcher. Another guy who becomes quite elite is Kevin Gaussman. Oh, see, I didn't know that about Gaussman. Uh, I, I love him, by the way. I, uh, I still think there's a big breakout coming. I, I, I agree. And everybody talks about, oh, you don't want AL East pitchers. And would I rather an NL East pitcher uh, than an AL East pitcher? Sure. sure. But – it's all about price and uh, projections. So, and, and the fact that people don't want ALEs pitchers pr- pushes their price down, and that's how you got that trio of guys that we were covering earlier. There is no doubt. Uh, five, I'm actually going to do six. Uh, okay. t- six lessons. Five, uh, maximizing plate appearances. We've talked about the Friday moves uh, in terms of having a flexible roster so I can get four game starts from hitters uh, Monday to Thursday and just being able to push guys around to maximize plate appearance on my team. But the other one, and this is one of the trickiest things, I think, in NFBC drafts, is how to manage catchers. Uh, I, I had Lucroy and Brian McCann uh, last year. I took in the 7th, 8th round, so a back-to-back uh, catchers, which started a bit of a catcher run, which is always uh, sweet, but that's not why I did it. Uh, uh, I liked Lucroy. I thought I liked McCann. I was one of two on those guys. It is hard to ultimately win those counting hitting stats if you're running out 12 or 13 or even 13 and a half batters and your opponents are running out 14 batters. Uh, So while I don't know that I would use, you know, a first round pick or a second round pick on Buster Posey or some of the other top, top end catchers there, you need to, in these drafts, draw a line and say, my last catcher is going to be above this line, I think. 
And you can say, well, but every year there's a Sanchez that emerges, and I just need to get that guy, and it won't really matter that I have a crap catcher for the first month or two months or six months. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah, except what if he doesn't emerge? And what if one of the 14 other teams in my league gets the one emerging uh, catcher, and I'm stuck with crap all year in catcher? It's really hard uh, to compete uh, with that. So I think it is – you don't want to overspend on catcher. But I don't want I don't want a thirteen person batting roster. I want a fourteen batter uh, roster, and that means you have to spend some capital on catchers. I, I, think. I think I think that that is something that I've I've started to learn. I used to be the one dollar catcher guy if I couldn't get in early. Then this year I started looking at Posey. I got him in one league. Um, I Jason and I were talking about taking him. We ended up with a pick that we felt was a little bit too high to get him in the first round of labor mixed, and then he wasn't going to make it back in the second round. So I, I'm with you. I don't want to have zeros at catcher, and it doesn't mean you have to invest at the super high end. But don't just wait until the very end and take James McCann and Sandy Leone or whatever. I, yeah, you're just you're giving away two spots, and you know you might not find the next Gary Sanchez or whatever. But Wellington Castillo and Stephen Vote is still a hell of a lot better than the combo that I just said, James McCann and well, so I know Sandy Leone isn't a starter, but like another just low end starter. And I even like kind of like a Cameron Rupp, but like. Vote and and um, who who did I say with oh vote and Castillo is still better than Rupp and and James McCann like don't just punt two spots because you think it's going to be hard to hit on them I I uh, agree with you there uh, again everybody may draw the line of where they're comfortable with kind of I need the catcher above the line but uh, I think you. Yeah. Again, you can win lots of different ways. Uh, I think you need to be humble about your ability to put together an offense with the other 12 guys that is so much better than everybody else's that you don't really need production from those two other spots. Mm -hmm. If you can do it, if anybody can do it, then good for you. It's great to be able to wait until the 29th and 30th round and just take whatever catchers are left. Uh, I'm just not confident enough in my ability to put together a strong enough offense with just 12 guys Same. that I don't need production from the other two. So because that's... you could pop on, on this year's Wilson Ramos, and that's going to be huge. And you took him in, you know, so, not you, specific, I'm saying somebody yeah, took, takes him in the yeah. middle of those rounds, and, and then they, they get that big boost from him. Remember when Russell Martin really came back totally. uh, and had that big year? He was one of those guys that gets taken in the middle rounds. If you just punt, there's just very little chance that Tucker Barnhart's going to come around and do uh. something big for you. You know, and so you got to kind of be in that middle tier if you're not going to invest early. Uh, and I've I've been in the position where I'm looking at the fab each week at catchers, and they're all such bad options. They're, and they're kill They're killing your batting average. You're getting no counting stats from them, and you're just chasing your tail. You know, it's 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 worse than going for the ugly girl at the dance. Like they're you're 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 not going for girls. You're going for for I don't know what. Like this analogy is only going to get me in trouble. Uh, but it, 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 yeah, it, it's not a great <laughs> but, analogy. The the point is, if you just completely ignore it, I mean, you, you're going to get what you pay for, right? You yeah. you pay nothing, you get nothing. You're not gonna. And and again, this isn't just NFBC. This is your own home league. Even if you're an AL NL only, where it's, I understand it's thinner. But if you just go dollar dollar, like you said, the burden that you put on the rest of your offense, you better be clicking on everything else. 
and you're not going to go 12 for 12. Let's just break the let's just break the news yeah. to them now. You're not going 12 for 12 on the other roster spots, so you're putting yourself in a hole. And I and I, I there have been a number of studies that have been done that one dollar catchers lose more than any other position. It's yep. it's a losing proposition. Those one dollar catchers. The baseball uh, forecaster looks at that uh, every year. They update it. That that the new one will be out soon, and you can go look. That it's the worst end game to go dollar dollar. Yeah. Uh, my last lesson is avoid disaster starts. There is a. Um, I spend, everybody spends, you, you write about this, about streaming starts, and it's mm-hmm. awesome. And you need, to, you need to be, even though I, just because of the way things worked out, I didn't stream a lot until right at the end of the season with this team. But it doesn't mean I didn't look every week for streaming upsides, two-start two guys, all the rest of it. Um, we don't spend as much time thinking and looking at these are the potential landmine starts, even with my pretty good starters that I need to avoid. Um, I was pretty obsessed about avoiding disasters whenever possible. Stuff's going to happen. Max Scherzer is going to have one, maybe two starts a year where he just blows up. They're unavoidable. You are never, ever, ever, nor should you ever, ever, ever bench Clayton Kershaw, Max Scherzer. You know, if you're Chris Sale, if you are taking a top starter, you play them every single week, even in Colorado, you just, you play them. Um, But for everybody mid-tier down, be as obsessed about avoiding the bad start, avoiding the disaster start as you are about picking up a guy because you have you think he has a great start. I would rather miss a pretty good start uh, than than uh, have a disaster start. Uh, take I, that I just, eight ER, you can't take that eight ERA or eight earn run game on the chin. We're all going to we're we're all going to get them. They're unavoidable. It's baseball. Stuff happens. You can be playing against, uh, you know, the Phillies, and they can go off for fourteen runs any day. That's the nature of the game. But I'm spending as much time and assessing as much as I can about uh, about avoiding them. I'd rather I'd rather uh, miss a miss a win, uh, miss a good start. Uh, then get a lot of those punches in the face. And I think most people spend a lot more time looking at the upside than looking at the downside. Mm-hmm. No, I, I, I completely agree. I do think it's uh, something that you really want to try to avoid. Don't get too cute with your starts, especially with your streaming. And, uh, you know, just because a if it's a bad pitcher facing a bad team, it's still a bad pitcher. Mm-hmm. And I see that happen a lot too. Where you, oh, I started this guy against uh, it was against the Braves. Well, the Braves in the second half started walloping guys. So if you took those scrub pitchers, they were beating good players, let alone the scrubs. So you got to be careful on that. Yeah. All right, Rob. So those are those are your lessons. Uh, I'm gonna. You might not have anything here, but I'm gonna ask you if, you if I don't know how much prep you've done. Anybody jumping out to you yet as as a potential 17 breakthrough? You don't have to give us somebody that you're going to take in every draft or anything, but are you eyeing anybody that looks like he's going to be one of those mid to late round guys that you think can can really deliver that surplus value? You have any any uh, names yet? Uh, well, we we already talked, and again, I'm a I'm a Blue Jays fan also, so I'm a bit of a homer. We already talked about Marcus Strato. I think he's going to be underrated again. Nobody's Definitely. going into the nobody's going into the draft saying I. Uh, as long as I get Marco Strat in the 20th round, then, <laughs> then the whole strategy uh, falls into place. Uh, but I think he's a value. If David Price is not considered an ace this year because of the surface stats he put up this year, if he's a guy that starts slipping into the fourth round, uh, I think David Price bounce back, bounces back. And I don't think he was a lot worse 
this year than he has been uh, the rest of his career. I think David Price is still uh, he's a not um, he is a notch below uh, the top five or six guys, but not that much of a notch. And I think he uh, bounces back in a big way this year. I don't know if, what your thoughts are. On no, Price. I, I actually completely agree with you. I do think that some of the, there's some overrating of the struggles that Price had. I was off of him this year. I just I kind of have a general rule. I don't really like guys in the first year of their giant contract. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't always work. Uh, because it, it wouldn't have killed you. A 399 ERA was not what you planned for, but, but a 120 whip and a, and a boatload of strikeouts was not the end of the world. I just want them to settle, get that year, and then I'll take a look at the Zach Grankies and the David Prices. I think Price um, is going to be punished a lot more than his numbers deserve. I'm with you there. And getting back to your point about how there aren't that many aces already this year, if you start pushing him off of that tier – then then you're going to create a value. And we're talking fourth, fifth round here. He's not going to fall at any, no, no, anything no. below that. But if I can get him in the fourth round after the likes of, you know, like Lester and Darvish and Arietta and Cueto have gone, then I'm going to jump on it. Now, I didn't see that in the Arizona draft, but it doesn't mean it won't happen in other drafts. So I'm definitely keeping an eye on where David Price is going. I can certainly see him being a, a surplus value this year uh, just because folks are worried after last year when I just don't really think there are too many concerns. He had some mechanical issues. Remember when uh, all the buzz was how Dustin Pedroia fixed him on a mechanical issue? He had a great stretch immediately after that. He fell back off a little bit again late in the season. But if you just kind of investigate the game log and you kind of go through it, there were some some of those dud outings that, like you said, are going to happen to every pitcher. He got more than his fair share this year. David Price had five outings of six-plus earned runs, including a three-and-two-thirds eight Ernie against his former team at the Rays on April 21st. That just doesn't happen regularly, and I don't see him being somebody that that's going to continue to happen to. So if he cuts those in half, well, I guess you can't really cut it to two-and-a-half, but if he goes two dud outings instead of five, then all of a sudden you're really changing the landscape of his ERA. Yeah. Uh, so I like him. Another early-ish guy who I don't know why – I don't know why people don't like him more is Nelson Cruz. Uh, Nelson – nobody considers Nelson Cruz a stud hitter uh, right now uh, in, in baseball. There's no doubt. And he is – he'll be 36 this year, and at some point the cliff comes. Sure. Uh, Dude has 127 home runs in the last three seasons. His batting average last three seasons, 271, 302, 287. Uh, he is who he is right now. Um, but third round, uh, Nelson Cruz, give me that every single day. Uh, I don't know why there isn't uh, – why people just don't like him. And if you remember, uh, the big thing coming up when he was really starting to emerge in his late 20s was health. Uh, now we're looking at 159, 152, and 155 the last three years. And in fact, you can actually stretch it back to 2012. He only played 109 in 2013. That was the suspension year. The year before that, 2012, it was 159. So you have four years of 152 or more. And then the fifth of those, I can't say for sure that he was going to go a buck 50, but he was having an amazing season. He was playing healthy and it was probably due in part to whatever he took that got him suspended. But the fact of it is, is that in his 30s, he's actually been a durable, excellent hitter. Nelson Cruz is a guy that I think folks are too scared of being stuck with the hot potato of of, of the fall off that they don't want to take him, and they just keep passing up 40 and 100. Yeah, and and they they, they think Safeco is, is his park, but he's been playing in Safeco now. Like the it's, two it, years. It, 
Yeah. And it, it uh, took I, 44 and 43 homers the last two years in Petco, uh, in Safeco. And Safeco's construction has changed. It's a little bit more neutral, not such a pitcher's park anymore, especially for right-handers. I don't think it's the scare park that you have to worry about anymore at all. Same with Petco, by the way. The two co's that we were always worried about, um, yes, they, they are still you, – you will have no problem throwing a pitcher out there, but you do not have to run away from hitters. I, I think Adrian Beltre would have loved to play in this iteration of Safeco. It's, it's funny. When I look, when I look at my projections, you and you, you, if you ask me today, Rob, what would be the your perfect start to a draft in uh, in 2017? And it's it's absurdly early. Who knows how ADP play, plays out? You wrote uh, six weeks ago or a month ago about how Miguel Cabrera is still a first round pick. Mm-hmm. If you told me right now, Rob, you can start in the 15th pick with Miguel Cabrera, Madison Bumgartner, Nelson Cruz, David Price. I will take that start uh, every single day, and I think that it's that a boring, a boring, oldish, but really, really solid. It start. goes back to your point, though, that you're not getting the oohs and ahs, and that's fine. Don't pay any attention to me over here. I'm just over here putting together an amazing team. Okay, oh. don't worry about me. I'm just the reigning champion, Rob Silver, and I'm just putting together a great team. No big deal. Rob, I want to thank you so much for your time. I know you're out on Twitter. Can you give everybody your Twitter handle if they want to follow you? It's at Rob Silver. I will annoy the crap out of you with intermittent switching between baseball and Canadian, Canadian politics. politics. Yeah. So I'm always it, up it, on what's it, going it, on I, there. I am the Bo Jackson of two things that, that, <laughs> that, you, that people listening to this care about half of it, and the other half will annoy the crap uh, out of, put all, all kinds of mute filters on to, to, to screen the rest of it out. But, uh, but thanks. This has been a uh, uh, dream of a lifetime coming on the podcast. Paul. Thank, thanks so much, Rob. <laughs> Anytime.